Welcome to Inside Scoop with Sean Emery. Every week we are examining something new, bringing you closer to companies, sectors, and themes. This recording should not be construed as a substitute for personalized individual advice from Avery and Company or any guests on the show. This is for educational purposes only and not intended to make an offer or solicitation for any companies or securities mentioned. Hello, hello, everybody. This is Inside Scoop. Today, we have Brendan Rogers. He is the co-founder of WAG. WAG is the company that took the pet market by storm. Big beneficiaries pre-COVID, bigger beneficiaries post-COVID. The company is now public. It trades under the ticker PET, P-E-T. This will be a two-part series. The first part is zero to 100. And ultimately, what we are doing is trying to understand how one builds business. It's a really good piece or series for founders. We get plenty of founder listeners on the podcast. We also have plenty of investor listeners on the podcast, whether direct investors and or investment firms. And I think understanding the dynamics of how a successful business builds itself is very important to have in your brain. And the second part is really around current trends. So here and now, everything around the pet industry, uh, on-demand market, given pet or WAG is specifically in that area. And the last part is really anything Brendan is seeing. He also runs 2AMVC, which is a venture firm specifically out of India and seed stage around technology and some other areas of focus. I had a really good time speaking with him. So I hope you're able to watch both series or episodes as they come out. With that, let's get to the episode. All right. We're here with Brendan Rogers. What's going on, man? Nothing much. Just another day in Sarasota, Florida, just enjoying the uh, sunshine and uh, the nice weather. Brendan is the co-founder of WAG, also the co-founder of 2AMVC, a seed stage fund focus on kind of next generation startups in India. Uh, you know, there's so much to talk about today. Uh, I really wanted to focus in on a couple of different areas, mainly being zero to WAG, you know, how you really thought about building this business. On this podcast, we get tons of founders. We also get tons of investors that listen to it. And I think the important takeaway for them is to try, listen, keyword listen to successful founders such as yourself and, you know, try to extract anything. And then for the investors, I think it's developing some form of pattern recognition, seeing what you went through, how you went through it to really gauge maybe their next investment, whether it's private or public. So let's start with Brendan, the origin story of yourself, you know, pre-WAG, who is Brendan? Yeah. And and thank you so much for having me on and happy to share uh, my journey from founder to now on the dark side as a VC. Um, Yeah. So I grew up in uh, a small town in uh, Rhode Island uh, near the beach. And um, I think, uh, you know, what has led me to start businesses and invest in in entrepreneurs is um, I grew up uh, being an athlete. So I love being on teams. Um, I played many different sports, but Soccer was uh, the sport that I, you know, continued to play in college and whatnot. And, um, you know, I was just very attracted to just sports in general and being on teams and going through the ups and downs and the wins and the losses. Um, And then parallelly, I always just had a a knack for just business. You know, my father uh, was in sales his whole life in the telecom space. Um, And, uh, you know, I would always, you know, try to learn how to make like extra money or flip things. So I was big on like Craigslist back in the day and eBay. Um, and, you know, that kind of got me started into like in business and just like loved like seeing money transacting and stuff. 
Um, and then with sports, it kind of fueled me. So um, that's kind of the origin story of like where I grew up, um, just loved hustling, loved sports, was a kid that was always outside running around um, and, uh, you know, got my first computer at like 13 or 14. And it was like when everybody had the 56K modems where you couldn't be on the phone um, and stuff like that. So that was kind of the origin story of, uh, you know, where I grew up and how I got really into to startups to some degree. Yeah. And then, so at some point in this journey, you know, a couple of light bulbs started to, to hit off, whether it's like friendships, networks, things like that, you know, talk about that, that, that time period where, whether it was just before, and I know there was a dating app uh, that was being created here and then something else thereafter. Um, and you know, the light bulb, maybe in that moment first, the first one, right. Cause it, it sounds like it was uh, a couple steps before even the, you know, call it the, the home run uh, at some point was hit. Um, Talk about the couple bunts that happened before that for, for, for all the athletes out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, you know, in 2000 and like nine and 10, I think mobile was very new. You started seeing like Steve jobs talk about apps. Um, and then you saw like Facebook, you know, really kind of take off from colleges to the mainstream. And you saw the movie, like the social network came out and, um, I was really intrigued with just like just technology and startups. And I think the, the, the thing that really kind of like opened up my eyes was I believe like this whole rise in mobile apps and Facebook. Um, because like I was always on Facebook back in the day when I was in college and stuff like that. And then um, in parallel in college, I met a lot of entrepreneurial people um, that were in the whole tech scene and, and stuff like that. Like, you know, working for, larger tech companies or, you know, um, had like used to play like games on Facebook when people used to build games on Facebook. Yeah. Like I was just like always intrigued by it. Um, and that was when I, the wheel started turning. And I think like, as well, like when I, you know, left college, I wasn't ready to have like a full-time job where like, I wanted to like, you know, get, put a suit on every day and stuff like that. Like I felt like inside of me and I'm like a very spiritual person and I go off a lot of intuition in my gut um, is like, I wasn't, I was, I wasn't ready to like kind of throw my hands up. I was like, I, I, I there's something like missing. So, um, you know, me and my, uh, my friends, we decided to move out to Silicon Valley to, um, you know, start a, start a business. Like just, we saw the social network or like, well, where is Google? Where's Facebook? Where's like all these companies they are all in this one little area. So it was like, well, if I'm going to play in the major leagues, I got to move there. Um, and that's when, like, when I made that move, I knew that like inside of me, I had to, I had to do something that did not include putting on a suit every day and really, you know, getting my friends on board that were also very entrepreneurial uh, and excited about startups to basically pack our bags and move to Palo Alto. And, um, you know, I had no money. My grandma actually had, um, a tax return, a uh, pretty large one. And she started giving her grandkids like 1200 bucks each. And that was like my plane ticket. And, um, you know, I told a lot of people, um, you know, that I was moving out to California and, you know, I just from Rhode Island, like the only vacations I ever took was really to Disney world and stuff. So, uh, you know, everybody was like, Oh, you'll be back in like a month. Um, and uh, moved to Palo Alto and really, uh, you know, we stayed with my, uh, my friends in a studio on airbeds for about nine months. Um, and it's hard to really break into Silicon Valley if you don't go to Stanford or if you haven't worked for like a successful company before. 
Um, but that was kind of like, once I got off the plane in Palo Alto, I knew like, okay, the time, like I have to do this, I have to figure it out. And, um, you know, my friends and I were thinking about like what ideas we should do. And I don't know who said it, but, um, one thing that was intriguing was like these big businesses like Uber and Airbnb and stuff, they disrupted like massive, massive industries. So I was like, what industries like are large where people spend a, a ton of money, um, and like continuously come back there's high frequency high retention and what businesses like are just growing exponentially and i thought online dating was a great area because people spend absurd amount of money um, on online dating and there was like all this stigma but people were still using it um and that's kind of when the idea kind of came about we we're like okay well we could leverage Facebook um, as like an acquisition channel for users because that's when everybody was on Facebook playing games like Farmville, et cetera. Let's just like create like a social dating kind of platform and put it on top of Facebook. And that's what we did. And that was kind of like the first idea. Um, so, yeah. No, that's interesting. So that was the dating side. And what I'm hearing there, my biggest takeaway from that is, is literally put yourself where you're, a chance of success is the highest. And so you went straight to the the jugular where uh, talent is, capital was. Um, what's interesting there, and it, it's kind of a side note to this, and it's it's maybe a, a quick answer to it, but that was then, but pre-COVID or post-COVID now, that whole entire you know distribution of talent and resources and funding. Just a quick side note to what, what our what our direction here, but what's your thoughts on kind of the remote aspect of everything? Yeah. I mean, like I was just thinking that in my head, like that was then this is now, um, you know, I don't believe you need to be in Silicon Valley to raise capital, hire great people or get anything off the ground, um, by any stretch of the imagination. I think like your chances, I think in a post COVID world, you have the platforms like LinkedIn, you have angel list, you have a lot of different platforms to like put yourself out there and, and raise like, you know, pre-seed seed rounds eventually though you probably will make your way out there to raise capital just because that's where the largest vc funds are at least in america um but by no means does that strategy mean if you go to silicon valley you're going to be successful i've seen many successful businesses that are launched in many parts of the country um so yeah i think post covid you can be anywhere um which is beautiful because for some time it was like the 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 notion was come to silicon valley grind, hustle, meet everybody. And that's your only chance of success. And I don't think that's the case today. Right. No, that makes sense. The, um, so, so continuing on, so you, you did the dating app, yeah. um, big picture, you know, you're looking for big markets where, you know, where there's potential friction that you could break through. Um, sounds very similar to what, uh, was the eventual, you know, success story here. Um, so let's talk about, you know, uh, kind of pairing the dating into and spinning that into, uh, or leveraging what you've already built uh, whether it's monetarily, uh, and, and kind of going down the path uh, of WAG, where, where was the idea formulated? When did you know, like, okay, well, you know, I know it's a big market and, you know, there's a lot of dog lovers and pet lovers out there. So you have a lot of like affinity for the product already, um, and a problem to be solved, but like, you know, the origin stories of that idea. Yeah. So basically, um, the dating site, like I said earlier, it was like, we built it on top of Facebook and when you rely on another platform for distribution, you always run the risk of, you know, getting kicked off, the algorithms change and whatnot. Um, and I think that the business wasn't growing as fast as, as we'd like. Um, it's almost like, uh, like YouTube, right? Like you have a big YouTube channel and then all of a sudden you can post a video 
and you can break their guidelines and they turn your channel off, mm. right? Then what? Um, so um, the, the business eventually, we knew that it wasn't going to be successful um, long-term. So we decided to um, kind of wrap up the assets and sell them to IAC Media, which they had a, a dating site within IAC Media um, that essentially acquired the assets. And, you know, we were, my co-founders and I, we were young and, um, you know, Palo Alto is a very, uh, how do I put this? It's like after eight o'clock, there's not much going on. Um, so we're in our young twenties and we're like, let's go to LA. Um, so moved down to LA and we brought a designer and an engineer to, to move with us. And, um, it was right near running Canyon, which is like a hiking trail in Hollywood where you get a lot of dogs and a lot of just like dog walkers, pets, just a lot of people. And, um, you know, our next business, we wanted to build the same, we wanted to build a business where people would take their credit card out immediately. Meaning like they knew that like, if they wanted the service, they'd have to pay for it. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't monetize through ads or like getting them on the platform and then converting them to pay. It was like, no, like, you know, if you use Uber, you know, you're going to have to pay right away. So um, we wanted to build a business like that. And, you know, in running Canyon in 2014, there was a lot of, a lot of pets. And in 2014 in general, the Uber for X model was like really taking off. You saw Instacart, DoorDash, Uber, Lyft in the U S just growing exponentially. Um, you know, millennials and a little bit older were getting used to that behavior by using your mobile phone, pressing a button and something happens, whether a car shows up or groceries get delivered to your house. Um, but what was interesting around pets that I thought that I think was very, very interesting was like, and I've been a dog lover and a pet owner my whole life was, you know, the lifetime value of pet, pet parents is like exponential, exponential, right? Like you have pets throughout your whole life. Sometimes you have multiple pets at the same time. And people treat their pets like their kids. Um, and there's a lot of trust with pet parents. And I thought that, like, if you could build trust long term with pet parents, then you could have them and create a moat where they'll stick with you throughout their whole lives. Um, so what I thought was really interesting was, like, if we could get access inside of the pet parent's house and provide a service every single day, then once we've built that trust and we have more product market fit, then we can launch additional um, services like sitting and boarding, um, you know, veterinarian on-demand help, um, you know, then the whole health and wellness piece of, of the pet space. Like there's all these different channels that we could kind of go down and monetize because we've already had the pet parent. Um, and that's where we, my co-founders and I were like, let's do dog walking because that's the easiest way to get inside the, the pet parent's house that's the easiest way to consistently have people have their dog walked every single day. Cause dogs right. have to go to the bathroom. Let's create the button on the phone for the paw and really own the whole pet stack and starting with dog walking. And that's where the idea was like, let's do Uber for dog walking really came about. And this business would have not been successful if it was launched in other areas of the country. And I'll tell you why is because in Los Angeles, many people are single until later on in life and they all have pets and there's so much traffic, it's hot, dogs are inside all day. But then on the supply side, there's um, a ton of people that like are models or actors or artists, and they like 
they have a lot of side hustles. Um, like if you go out to dinner in LA, 90% of them are probably in entertainment. They just do this to make extra money. So it was like, who, who would not want to walk puppies at noon, um, right. Angeles. So the supply side, there was a huge demand of supply side. So, um, you know, that's how the idea started and that's where the light bulb went off. But from day one, so we would go to Runyon Canyon, go up to people with pets or just random people and build conviction. And I encourage every founder to do this. Every person we talked to and told them, this is what we want to build. Would you use a service like this? Um, 95% of the people said yes. And for some reason, like I said earlier, I go off my gut and intuition. The gut was like, move forward and build this. Um, and that's kind of how it all started. That's interesting. So uh, again, it sounds like so one thing you went from, you know, uh, trying to connect relationships to then providing a service for arguably one of the most, the strongest relationships, which is a, an owner with their pet. Um, and it almost sounds as if the, you know, the idea was very specific and local, um, which allowed th this product to eventually go national. Um, and I don't know, global, but uh, uh, big enough. Um, so, so it's fascinating that, that again, it sounds like this was an idea conceived at the very local market. Um, now, product market fit is the big buzzword. Obviously, it sounds like you did this uh, anecdotally by kind of generally surveying uh, people walking around and or friends and family uh, in the area and, you know, uh, using intuition based off of that feedback, you rolled with it. Um, did you roll with this, you know, uh, self-funded uh, originally? Did you get funding immediately? You know, talk about that, that, that specific moment where it was either product market fit that at least attracted attention from a, from a funding perspective, or it was just the idea. Uh, and then you guys executed along that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we put our, a little bit of like of our own capital early on in the business. But, um, you know, we took the approach of like, you know, let's not get like a million dog pet parents to like sort of like us, but get like a hundred pet parents that are obsessed with you that will use you every day. So we really focused on penetrating LA first, um, had a little bit of traction. It wasn't something that went from like zero to like 100 super fast. Um, but since this was a digital product, um, and we wanted to scale this product, we probably four months, three to four months after launch, decided to go raise a seed round um, because we knew that this was a venture backable business and we wanted to scale this business and scale this business and other services. So initially um, put a little bit of capital in ourselves and then went straight to the VCs um, and raised like a 750K seed round. And, um, you know, we had, I would say that we, we built a little of a network to some degree in Silicon Valley from the previous venture, which I think just kind of snowballed into more intros to folks in Silicon Valley. And to be honest with you, a lot of the LA investors passed on, on WAG early on um, because they thought it was more of a lifestyle business. Um, they didn't understand that this could be the button on your phone for your paw. Um, so um, yeah, so we raised the seed and by no means did we have product market fit then, but we had, good penetration in Los Angeles. Um, one thing that, you know, the early team at WAG really did was just like really build um, like just a great customer service team, but more so we were like super de data driven. We we're like, we understood like how much would it cost to, you know, either do on the paid marketing side or how, what is it, what does the playbook look like to bring on dog walkers and like, like really refine the product where the experience in LA was phenomenal and then rolled it out into San Francisco and uh, like the peninsula area. And 
once we had those two markets where we were consistently doing dog walks per day, we kind of just fine tuned the machine. A lot of our processes were very manual at first. So we didn't like invest all this money in technology and build all the software out. We really did everything manual and consistently talk to our customers and talk to our walkers and kind of iterated off of that feedback, um, which allowed us to really create a, a playbook where it was like, okay, we are in these two markets. We know how to scale, um, you know, into new markets. We know how to hire walkers. We know how to get customers. We know how to do marketing around these new markets. Now let's start building technology from an automation perspective and start rolling it out into more markets and have that mindset where it's like, let's grow at all costs and try to, you know, just blanket blitz scale, uh, the whole country. And, you know, we were, um, you know, I would say that we were really, we did a really good job with fundraising. And I think like, you know, a lot of the investors, our data showed that what the, what the VCs loved about WAG was that majority of our customers have never used a dog walker in their life. And I think that since we were creating a whole new behavior and a whole new habit within the pet industry, um, the VCs were very, very excited about that. So quickly went on um, to raise multiple rounds of financing, um, you know, ended up raising close to like 400 million in capital uh, for the business. And um, yeah, we, you know, we really focused on, on dog walking for the first like year and a half, two years, um, got to a scale where then, since we already had the supply side of walkers, we asked our walkers, hey, would you like to be a sitter or do daycare? So we didn't have to like go reinvent the wheel because we already had the supply side of hundreds of thousands of walkers. Mm-hmm. Let's just launch a new service. And we did that and we were able to scale that very quickly and um, yeah, and just grow the business from that perspective. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, now talk about the, uh, so, so from a funding perspective, you guys ran a lot of capital, very successful product is, is cool. And, and a lot of, uh, again, affinity for that part of that, that type of service. How do you think about fa- fun- funding then? I mean, I know you said it, the, the strategy there was blitzscaling. Now, fast forward to today, how do you think about funding then, right? In terms of would you have done anything different? Um, you know, there's the concept of, you know, uh, raise as much money as possible, but there's also the concept of uh, don't raise as much. Just from a, from a founder's perspective, just any thoughts around, you know, what we've all learned over the last, call it decade within funding and just your general thoughts on funding in general. What would, uh, if you were starting WAG all over again, what would be the, uh, the, the strategy there. Yeah. I think like you make a really good point. I think like companies can get like overcapitalized too quickly before they really have true, like, you know, network effects or product market fit, um, to some degree. Um, I think for WAG, I think that, so we raised $300 million from SoftBank. Um, I don't know if I were to go back in time, I probably would say not raise as much capital. Um, Obviously, with capital, there's dilution. Obviously, with these large funding rounds, there's liquidation preferences. Um, There's things that, you know, are just not bumps in the road, but things you have to be mindful of. And I think that WAG um, was not at a scale where it needed all that capital. Um, So I'd probably raise less um, and just just grow the business from that perspective. Um, I also think, and I, I've, I've said this publicly a few times, um, like at conferences and maybe on some podcasts as well, but um, when you raise hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, um, people that are in the organization, like employees and stuff, it almost gives the, like the notion of like, we've already made it. 
And like, now we have all this money and now we're going to ride off into the sunset. Um, I think that, you know, that sometimes it can hurt the business from like a cultural perspective where mm. there's so much cash, there's so much cushion where it's like, no, like we're still in a startup here. Like we're by no means, you know, the largest pet company in the world. So like, we got a long way to go. Um, I think that there was some of that. Um, but I think quickly that was kind of flushed out and, but I, I don't think it's just a wag thing. I think it's kind of everybody thing. Sure. Um, and uh, I know now I think like, so now the funding rounds are a lot larger. Like our seed was 750 K that was in 2015. Um, you know, seed rounds now, you know what, I mean, in the U S and now in India that where I invest my full time is like, you know, one to 3 million valuations are, have gone up. Obviously we're in this bear market now. Valuations are starting to come down to some degree. I haven't seen like a whole lot of it. Um, but, uh, everything's just bigger now. I would say with founders, what I would recommend is, um, raise capital. But the number one thing is like raise from value add people, value add angels, value add funds. You don't need to have a tier one for your seed round. There'll always be there. Um, and just bring on value add people that can actually move needles within your business. Um, and that are truly passionate about what you're building. There's so much capital out there globally that access, if you can master the art of fundraising, and if you can master the art of telling a story and selling a vision, you'll be able to raise, you'll be able to raise capital. But I believe that the easy part is raising capital. The harder part is finding value add investors that can actually move the business in the right direction um, from zero to one. Um, yeah. Because you see a lot of companies raising capital and then like their business does nothing, but they raise money. So. Yeah, no, exactly. And and if the unit economics don't work at the start, you're just scaling kind of an unprofitable business uh, for some of these. I mean, we've seen that over the, the, the last decade, uh, specifically recently. You know, you talked about, uh, you know, speaking to founders here, uh, there's founders and then there's co-founders. Um, and I think, you know, what's your view on that approach? You know, there's, there's some that want to go out there and say, you know, I, I don't want to give anything up uh, immediately. Uh, but the, the reality behind that is, you know, businesses take multiple type of kind of skills and personalities and, and um, different hours of the day um, and different focal points, you know, and then there's co-founders where, again, you can have that right-hand person um, that is either the mirror, the kind of exactly like you and or compliments you in a material way. Uh, what's your view? Um, uh, there's no like black and white there. It's just simply um, what's your view on kind of the founders out there that say, you know, I want to control everything versus uh, I'm willing to kind of uh, uh, start this business with somebody else. Yeah. So um, I think, first of all, finding co-founders is like one of the hardest parts of, of doing a startup. Um, I personally do not invest in solo founders. Um, I know a lot of people do. I know a lot of great funds that do. I just don't do that um, because if the founder gets hit by a bus, who's going to run the business? Um, that's basically like just my just my thing. Um, however, I think also starting a business by yourself is a very lonely journey. Um, startups at the early stages is all about pace and moving super fast. And if it's just you there's only so many hours in the day and you may be an expert in one or two things, but you lack in other areas. Whereas if you brought somebody on that was an expert in the things you lack, you could really complement each other really well. So I'm super bullish on co-founders. Um, I believe that you should have co-founders. Um, finding people that like complement your 
like that compliment you and don't have your skill sets, I think is a superpower if you can find people like that. But really, um, you know, I would recommend that like you should find co-founders, you should be able to give equity away, um, you know, build relationships with people first. You know, my co-founders at WAG, I knew before uh, we even started businesses together. So we had like a relationship from that perspective. Um, my co-founder now with 2MVC, um, you know, we met uh before our fund we angel invested together i sent him deals that he invested in uh, he sent me deals that i invested in things of that nature so we built like a rapport um i went to india in 2019 uh to meet his family like indirectly knowing i was going to do a fund with him so like right. you want to build some sort of like relationship first with the person um and then really find someone that like you want to wake up every single day and like execute on that same vision um and really kind of, you know, finding people that are going to hold their weight, right? Like if you're both 50-50 partners, that other person needs to be giving 50%. Like, like they have to be worth their equity, right? So, um, I mean, I see, I think a lot of, I mean, one of the main reasons why startups die is because of co-founder issues. And, you know, I've seen um, that happen as a, as a founder and I've seen that happen now as a VC. Um, and it's tough. It's, you're, it's, it's a really tough um, place to be in where to find people. And I think that's one of the biggest issues founders have is like finding people that they love working with that are also as equally as passionate, that also has skill sets that complement the business really well. It's tough. Um, yeah, no, I get it. Question. Yeah, no, the, um, couple more kind of questions around for this, this series, um, which again, we'll have a second part where he's talking about, uh, trends and in, in kind of these spaces, but, um, again, for, for kind of, two areas, which is, you know, and you, you highlighted some of it already, but the biggest challenge uh, that you faced during that time and kind of how you overcame it, th thought about it uh, mentally, execution wise. Um, and then the second one is, and you'll probably can mold this all together is, um, you know, advice for somebody that is, is doing it today. Um, you're investing in them, but you're also, you also have gone through the process um, successfully. The company's public today. I don't know if I said that at the beginning, but um, in general, uh, those two things, biggest challenge, how you overcame it. And then, and then, uh, any advice for anyone growing their business? Yeah, I think like, that's a great question. Um, I think the biggest challenge as a founder has been having the tough skin to wake up every single day and be in the fight. Like you have your ups, your downs, no matter about, no matter how well the business is doing, there's things that always come up and the challenging part for me was you know consistently riding this roller coaster for years of like you know I'm not making I'm not really making any money uh you know I'm living you know in a house full of people like I don't have my own really space like and then you question yourself where you're like, man, am I, am I, am I really like supposed to do this? Am I really going down the right path? Like this stuff's like working, but it's not working. You know, it's like it, you play mental games within yourself and it's just a roller coaster. And like, you know, um, the biggest challenge for me, I think was just after years, cause I spent years in Silicon Valley and nothing didn't, it didn't really like, I, there wasn't really from like a, success perspective like i learned a lot but I, it wasn't like a success and then i had to go spend more years and kind of do it again and like it just you get it's tired right it's like being right. like, like it's like being like an athlete and um 
you know, I had really good people in my corner that believed in me. Um, you know, again, it's going back to, to sports. Like, you know, I played division one soccer. I love being on teams. I love being a leader on teams. I woke up every day to practice on the field. And like, I treated it as like, I was on this team and like, you know, I just was, I think that those skill sets as a kid and going into college with sports really molded me to be mentally strong for these startups, but it was very challenging at times. So kind of that was the biggest challenge. And then kind of how I overcame that challenge was, um, so I, I lived next to this running trail or this trail in, in running, running Canyon in LA. And, um, for me is like, I would just, I thrive off of exercise. Like I just love getting the endorphins out. I love just like, you know, um, just being active and I need to like, I'm like addicted to releasing energy. And, um, I started running in LA in, on these trails and, um, it was beautiful, like running outside, like you're in nature, like there's hills, there's like, you just, I just got like a really good workout. And, um, you know, I started like kind of running on a you know daily basis and actually got into trail running and started getting into like, you know, marathon trail yeah. running, et cetera. And like, that was a huge outlet for me where like, I could just like detach myself from the startup world and everything that was going on. I just, really focused on like the running piece just to like be mentally and just get exercise. And it, it really helped me like balance me out. So my advice would be like, as for founders is like, find something that can take you away from kind of your every single day, you know, some sort of hobby, like whatever it is. Like, I think that's like true. And I, I think that like in everybody thinks like in startups, like you have to work 24 seven and like, you know, that's like a lot of it is true. Like you have to sacrifice, you have to put everything you have into it, but you also have to like prevent burnout. Like you only can go so long until like, you're like, I can't, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. You know? Um, and then lastly, I'll just add another challenging thing was like, I, the sacrifice, like I lived, so I grew up in Rhode Island. Like I said, I have a sister that lives in Sarasota, Florida, where I'm now, um, you know, I miss birthdays. I miss holidays you know, I'm on the other side of the country. I just can't fly all the time to see people. And, um, you know, I was all in on this startup or on these startups. Like I was like, I'm doing this. And like my family understood, but I, I sacrificed, I missed out on a lot. And that's a huge reason why I'm in Sarasota now is because I'm like, okay, I have to not make up for lost time, but like, I want to be here now. And I think in startups, like that was a huge challenging piece. But, you know, when I see founders now that are like, oh, well, I don't want to, when I, from an investment perspective, like, you know, when founders are like, oh, I'm raising money to get started, or like, I'm still working at a company and like, I may want to start this. Right. Like, I can't, I don't invest in people like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I get that. It's like, you know, uh, I founded Avery and, you know, you, you jump off um, and you have to, you know, you're, you're giving up the salary um, and the income and you have to do that. Um, and in some cases, yeah, there's bridges to get to the other side. Um, but generally speaking, it's not that way. So, you know, I'll end there. You know, thanks for coming on this part of the series, zero to 100, you know, learning more about how you built WAG. You know, you went from like zero to public in like seven years uh, or something like that. Um, pretty uh, spectacular. Um, I think from kind of final takeaway for you is, is just uh, where can people learn more, whether it's, you know, the next series, we'll talk more about your VC. 
yeah. uh, activities and trends and thoughts there, but uh, learning more about you, where, where can they find more about Brendan? LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn has been a, uh, and I'm happy to share more about LinkedIn, but um, LinkedIn has been a, a gift for me. I use LinkedIn for many parts of my life and uh, I love sharing about my journey. So uh, just Brendan Rogers on LinkedIn. Um, so I think it's like linkedin.com slash Brendan P Rogers. And yeah, I'll uh, put it in the notes so uh, yeah. people can track it. So you, yeah, yeah, go to his LinkedIn. Uh, cool. Awesome. Brendan. That was, uh, that, that was great. Likewise. Thank you Good so much. Stuff, for having me. Yep.